You're listening to ASU Law Student Radio. Today I spoke with Phoenix-based personal injury attorney Freddie Saavedra. We discussed big data and its application to personal injury settlements, the Phoenix legal community and its recent history, and some tips for 1Ls on how to network effectively. Take a listen. I'm here with Freddie Saavedra, a personal injury lawyer based in Phoenix, Arizona. He's an ASU Law alum and operates his business in a particularly interesting way, which he explained to us, or at least me, when I was in a orientation session at the beginning of my ASU Law career a few months ago. Freddie, welcome. Thank you very much. How did you you get into personal injury law generally? Generally, it's a bit of... Uh, it's a bit outside the norm how I got into personal injury. Um, by way of background, uh, like I explained before, I was in the military 11 years. I was in telecommunications. My bachelor's in is in computer networking. And um, I was a Cisco certified network analyst. And that was most of my experience was in the IT world. So as I graduate law school, um, I'm offered a job at a, at a small firm that had some IT challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was able to join them in a system with, uh, they had actually lost their servers without a backup. They were in the process of new servers, new new, uh, new hardware, and updating their software. And bring, being brought into that allowed me to learn um, about case management software, how to implement it, uh, how to streamline it, and the real benefits of case management software. I was able to work on that significantly. Aside from uh, my, the, the practice of social security law, and as it happened, um, by just by networking and knowing a lot of people, people learned what I was doing, what I, uh, my work with case management software, and that I really enjoyed it. And I was offered a number of different partnerships, one of which um, about a year and a half out of law school, I was offered to come into a firm that had been around 40 years practicing. You know, they practiced personal injury, and I was brought in as a partner mm-hmm. within a year and a half out of law school because they'd heard of, and they'd seen what I, what I could do with case management software. Wow. They really needed it. So... That's why I came in. Interesting. Now, your practice here, it's structured around the idea that settling is better than going to trial even more often than we'd expect. How do you manage that strategy? What made you come to the conclusion that settling in even more cases than we'd expect is really the route to go? Well, it's complicated. And initially... um, you know, when I worked uh, for this firm, you know, we took great pride in litigating and we took great pride in saying, you know, we'll litigate over a couple thousand dollars, right? If, if you know, we believe the value of the case is 12 and we're only getting to 10, then we're going to file suit. Now, that was a point of pride and it was based on a law firm that had been around 40 years and kind of the, these values, these, you know, uh, um, uh, the attorneys, the older attorneys were, were used to litigating. That's how they were brought up. But, you know, one of our guys had 70 um, uh, trials to a jury as a county uh, prosecutor. But when I went off on my own, it, and I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm running al- analytics a little bit more closely, I'm realizing that if you consider the time value of money, mm-hmm. right, the frustration to the, uh, to the plaintiff, uh, the, the time that an attorney is taking to, to litigate a case, maybe it's not worth it over $2,000. And frankly, maybe you can get those $2,000 by doing the things in litigation that, that, uh, that you do once you enter. Instead of waiting to, litig- waiting to file suit and then hiring an accident reconstructionist, maybe get a report before 
and you can get those that amount that was missing. Maybe you can get to fair compensation there. So uh, it was the numbers, and, and because I created my own case, well, I used the case management software that pre-existed, but I fine-tuned it for personal injury. It took me about six months. But because I'm able to dive deep into the data because of my background, I really looked at those numbers and I realized, you know what, maybe for certain amounts, it's not worth litigating, right? It doesn't make sense for the plaintiff. If you can work maybe with the providers, get some reductions there, raise the value of the case through through data, through through other points, assist the adjuster in getting you the value that you're looking for, maybe maybe there's a better way. So that kind of made me think that, you know, litigation might not be the answer but the other side to that is how do you raise the value of a case now you're always there are cases that you're going to have to litigate there's mm-hmm. no question um and you know it's it's unreasonable to believe you you you, you run a pi practice without litigating mm-hmm. but what we're doing is we're trying to get the maximum value faster spending less time on it and and really getting to getting a, a great result for our plaintiff sooner uh, rather than later, later, and one of the ways we do that is by looking at data. Historically, in in, in Maricopa County, you know, um, the value of a case. Let's say you you have a, a scar on your face, right? Let's say you you were in an accident, your face was scarred. Well, you can go to the trial reporter and order a compendium on the last five, ten years of cases that have settled for a facial scarring. That's your value. Having a firm that had been around four years and their settlements and having that data available allowed me to, to look at a value of cases and be able to present information to the adjuster uh, with an argument that said, this is the value and this is why, uh, right? We, we, I have compendiums for, for several years. But if you look at that data and you take it, and actually if, if you're looking at other jurisdictions as well, similar to, to Maricopa County, you can get other supporting documentation for your case to support your values. Rather than litigating it and giving it to a jury to decide what the value is, why not provide the adjuster with all these different arguments for what the value should be and try to get to a settlement sooner rather than later, especially when you're dealing with a low limits case, right? Um, I think the data that 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 we're able to 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 look at and present to the adjusters makes the difference. We're not adverse to litigating, but we want to litigate when it makes sense, when it provides the maximum value. If we can't get to a result that 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 we think is fair, then we're going to have to litigate. There's no question. But let us do everything we can pre-litigation to get them to give us the number that we want or as close to it as we can and then we'll make a decision is the time value of money worth it uh, to litigate and if the end result is this much. Maybe even go back to our providers, our medical providers, and say, look, this is where we're at. This is what the numbers look like. Are you willing to take maybe a 10% cut and settle this now as opposed to waiting two years from now? And surprisingly, the answer is often yes. So, So it's thinking outside the box and actually just trying to get to a result quicker. But the access to the data both the data that, that is available out there, but the data that I have about my cases, uh, um, the, the, uh, the key performance indicators that I keep about my cases allow me to, to kind of track what we're doing and, and see these different points at which we can push for, for, for a full settlement. So oftentimes it's before the person is done treating. Here we have a positive imaging result. You should tender the limit, to, and this is why. Here's the key to that. 
we need to know what the limits of the of the carrier are. Um, and, and that's one of the first things we find out when we take on a case. What are the limits for the adverse carrier, right? If you don't know that, you can be building a $100,000 case, but if the limits are 25000 and the person is judgment-proof, that's all you're going to get. So why don't you find that out first? And that's, that's one of the key characteristics that makes us different, and that's one of the key aspects of knowledge that we need to be able to push these cases forward. You speak a lot about, um, or at least you mentioned a few times, the maximum amount that you can get, the number that you want. And that reminds me of sort of the optimization angle that you guys seem to be taking, um, where you take all these factors, past performance, other cases, all these factors, and try and see what the best number is, and then also consider what it would cost to litigate it, and you're, op you're creating an optimization algorithm, which is an approach that is common in other professional industries such as finance, but now that the law legal profession has access to so much data, it's sort of financializing the profession. Um, this is going to shake up personal injury, and you've already, you're ahead of the curve. How receptive do you think other personal injury firms are going to be to this? Are they already receptive? And do you think that there's this is the future? Every personal injury firm is going to be doing this um, just to, because it's the mathematical expectation is for a better settlement overall? Or will other personal injury firms still maintain their we like to litigate attitude and, um, you know, other less, perhaps less optimized approaches? Well, I think historically attorneys are very old fashioned. You know, we were late to adopt the telephone. We were late to adopt, it's you know, phone. female secretaries, uh, the fax machine, you name it. And, and technology is no different. Now, Arizona has, has introduced a sea change to the legal industry where they're allowing non-attorney owners to, to come in, uh, non-attorneys to own a law firm. That hopefully can bring investment, and I believe the goal there is to create more access to justice. But with that investment uh, would come a, you know, a, I think a more mathematical approach. Uh, you can graduate law school, hang a shingle, and you're up and running as an attorney. It doesn't mean that, that you have the mindset to run it as a business or, or to really optimize um, optimize your results. And I think historically, uh, PI attorneys tend to be set in their ways and do the same thing over and over. And if it gets results, it works for them. Why change? Uh, I do know many personal injury attorneys don't have, you know, very complex uh, case management software. Uh, it would be a great help to them, a great benefit, but so many are, are set in their ways. Yet again, there are other attorneys that are really looking at technology and taking advantage of it. And there's some great examples all over the country of, of attorneys that really are, are on the cutting edge of technology and, you know, going into, you know, artificial intelligence to prove up value uh, uh, of their cases to just think outside the box and really get to these settlements. Um, I, I was contacted by a group out of a uh, student group out of Princeton who is creating a, uh, an algorithm or, you know, a database, mm -hmm. so to speak, of cases, case value, case value by uh, treatment code, case value by diagnosis code, case value by injury, case value by injury, by jurisdiction, by insurance carrier, by insurance adjuster. That's pretty incredible. 
um, that knowledge is going to, if, if they give that knowledge out to people, it's going to allow them to, to really add value and get results faster. A lot of our attorneys are not going to be receptive to that. That's just the reality of it. Uh, but for those that are, especially these younger attorneys who grew up with technology, uh, it, it's, it's going to be a sea change. And, and I really do believe that the playing field is becoming level, whereas we're dealing with insurance carriers who have just so much data at their disposal, that data is now becoming more and more available. And the smart attorneys, usually the smarter, younger attorneys, though there are some, some veterans out there that are very, very technology uh, 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 driven. Yeah. Um, so um, I think it's, uh, uh, the playing field is getting more level. And it's an exciting time, but we will always have our dinosaurs who will always litigate, mm-hmm. litigate, litigate, litigate. Um, it's like the Jerry Maguire, uh, where, where Cuba Gooding Jr. says, help me help you. I see that uh, sometimes from the adjusters. The adjusters are telling you, they cannot give you more. You can threaten to sue, but they cannot give you more. Accident reconstructionists, you know, get a note from the doctor, get a biomechanical engineer, right? They're telling you they're stuck there. Help them. Get the, this file off of their desk. You know, sometimes sometimes it's worked out like that. Sometimes you get a, a hard nosed adjuster that isn't going to budge and is just adamant that they're they're not going to give you full value. Uh, there are those cases, but by and large, if you can show them the value, you know, they'll show you the money. So accepted too. Yeah. So in that sense, the legal industry does not like to change. It does not. But as you're saying, there will be a change as. Things like legal zoom start to own law firms, and sort of becomes more competitive. Now that's not the only way that we've seen change in the legal industry, and I'm talking now about um, the financial crisis of sort of 2008 to 2011. When I was in the orientation session about two months ago, and you spoke to us, you mentioned how the financial crisis changed Phoenix particularly because it was hit particularly hard, especially with the mortgage crisis. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, it almost seems that the, 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 the housing bubble burst directly over Phoenix, right? Uh, we, it seemed like we were the epicenter uh, for, for that crisis. And if you look at uh, home values here, you, one day the home value is, let's say, uh, 250000 And, you know, within a month, you're looking at a property that's 23000 and there's foreclosures everywhere. Now... It, it was a very challenging time throughout Phoenix. We, we are so heavily housing-oriented, housing-based, and there were so many new residential areas popping up all over the place that all of a sudden we had a glut of homes on the market. And if you think about it, we had it is my understanding that we had several of our um, more mature attorneys who were heavily invested in real estate. Well, when you lost 80% of the value of your investment portfolio, it, the retirement becomes a bit more of a challenge, it seems. So it appeared that after that, you know, whereas we, ha- we're, we're, we had maybe a lot of attorneys who would have gone on to, you know, into their retirement with a, with a comfortable nest egg, the 2008 housing bubble uh, eliminated a lot of that uh, comfort, uh, comfort level for them. So we had a lot of attorneys that may have retired. Uh, maybe not so willing to retire as they're re- rebuilding their nest egg. And, and I, I've heard that a lot throughout colleagues and throughout my networking, that there's a lot of attorneys who would have retired 10 years ago, but for the housing crisis. And that that creates a, a lack of opportunities for our younger attorneys that are graduating because we have attorneys that, you know, that aren't retiring. Now, 
luckily uh, attorneys can practice very, very into their later years, mm-hmm. uh, and that's great. But an attorney it, it, that's in their later years isn't as receptive to technology or or is able to implement or use technology or really you know, think outside the box in terms of technology. So I think that's also uh, creating a stagnant uh, legal legal practice here uh, in Arizona. And I think it's affecting us most because we just had so many, uh, um, so many people invested in real estate here. It was just, it was just a, a great boom that burst over us and uh, the people that were left holding the bag, you know, they had to rebuild their, their retirement portfolios. Now, you're speaking about how a lot of these older attorneys have still sort of held on because they need to rebuild their retirement portfolios. Do you think that at some point there's going to be like a mass exodus of those attorneys? They'll all start to retire sort of later and then there'll be a, a vacuum in the Phoenix legal market. That, you know, that's an interesting question. I think I would have felt that to be the case, but for these changes that are happening in Arizona now and a lot of younger attorneys that are realizing that they can use technology, maybe use virtual assistance to build a law firm and, and, and not going the normal route. So there's a lot of attorneys, a lot of younger attorneys coming out, hanging their shingle and, and beginning their practice. A lot of technology-driven, business-minded attorneys, younger attorneys. So I don't think there's going to be a large exodus, but... It, it, but I do see that that the younger attorneys aren't, it seems to me, taking the the normal route of going out, working for a firm five, ten years, and then going off on their own because they're very quickly seeing the advantages that technology offers them and the opportunity that exists to serve you know to serve the consumer, and and not you don't have to sacrifice five or ten years of your life you know learning the rope so to speak. Yeah, because if they properly leverage this technology, they can do the work of you know four people what was once the job of several assistants to gather the data is now just available on your web browser through Absolutely. Like Lexus or something. But you have to know where it is. Yep. You have to know where yes. it is. You have to know what you're looking for and how you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. And if you're born, you know, using the internet, then it's quite a different story than people that, that weren't. True. True. It's almost sort of like, uh, it's intuitive to the younger generation. It's like, um, like riding a bike, you don't forget how to use a web browser or, you know, an operating system. Well, you're right. You know, uh, I grew up, I, I learned the Dewey Decimal System, right? Mm-hmm. And I was proud of it. You know, the, I can find any book in the library. You don't need that anymore, does it? I don't even think it exists anymore. But that's that's what we learned. You know, these card catalogs where, you know, you can find a book and, and it, you know, technology has come so far so quickly that uh, a lot of our education is, you know, like that Dewey Decimal System, no, it's no longer helpful. Mm-hmm. So another thing that's changed a lot over the years is ASU Law, which you are an alumni of. I wanted you to talk a little bit about your experience at ASU Law when you graduated and how you've seen the College of Law change over the years. Well, I, I started and finished at the old campus in Tempe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost seemed that the law school was kind of separate and apart from, from everyone else. It was enjoyable. Um, the, the building was older, but... Uh, it was good to have that solace and be away from everyone. Now the school is here downtown in the in the center of everything. Great, beautiful building, um, and I think it presents a lot of uh, a lot of advantages uh, to to get to internships, to get to jobs, to make it back to school. So I think phys- that that physical 
change is just incredible. And it's such a credit to Dean Sylvester that that he was able to conjure this thing up and make it happen. And, and all the people involved, I think it, it was just incredible. So the location, I think, was was very uh, it, it was an excellent choice to move the, the the school here, and I believe now they're they're focusing more on the practical aspects of 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 law, and I think that's that's great also, especially given the recent changes that Arizona is doing. So, uh, for me, uh, going there, I was uh, I was an older student. I had served in the military eleven years, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm I'm probably one of the oldest older students there at the time. And so I really relied on the opportunities for mentorship, the opportunities for internships, externships, the opportunities to uh, to have the staff assist us with job searches, with with networking. I really took advantage of that, and that really became uh, the best uh, the best part of the law school for me. Is is you know apart from the education was meeting all these people, and because I was so disconnected from the normal process. Uh, you know, uh, going through that one L year because I'm older and I have a family and it, mm-hmm. I'm treating this as a job. Uh, I was able to go to all these networking opportunities, meet a lot of attorneys and, and get to build my network, which is so important. And I did it without, I did it, uh, I, I was out there networking. It wasn't intentional. It was just, I was so lost. I was looking for, for guidance and uh, I met so many great people that, you know, I've, really haven't had to apply for a job or anything like that, right? I, you know, I, uh, uh, very grateful to have built such a network, but it's uh, very grateful that I had the guidance of so many uh, staff at ASU who, you know, explained, you know, this is who you want to meet, that you need to know this person, you need to know that person, uh, you need to go to this event, you need to do that. So so that was great for me. Uh, the school, uh, I think the school is great. I think they're, they're in looking at the practical aspects, um, they're really being progressive. The location is wonderful. It's a great school. It's a great building. Um, I haven't been there uh, as much because parking sucks. They could work on parking. Uh, but other than that, I think it's great. Um, I'm really, we're such a, we're the fifth largest city. We have one law school, right? Think yes. about that. ASU has been spoiled for so long because we're, we're you know, they're, they're the monopoly on the absolutely so they, legal education. So they haven't really had to, you know, work on their alumni. Maybe we haven't had to do fundraising as much. Now with this building, obviously they've had to fundraise. They've had to mm-hmm. reach out to their alumni. But I think in doing that, they made the alumni uh, stronger, the alumni relationships, uh, the connections to the community stronger in, in fundraising for this building. So I, I think overall it, it's a great, we're in a much better position and we're not taking, taking, uh, or ASU isn't taking for granted the fact that it's the only law school in the fifth largest city in the country. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. talked about how you haven't had to apply, basically haven't had to apply for a job because of your great network and how you took law school seriously like a like it was a job and went to these networking events because it is like a professional responsibility to build your network. Um, as a 1L myself, and I know that a lot of 1Ls will be hearing this because that's where I'm going <laughs> to plug the podcast first um, in my classes. Well, could you give us a little bit of information about the basics of networking for someone who's really never done it before, maybe listening? Wow. Wow, that's a question. Um, that's a great question. You know, I, I've yet to find somebody that actually in, enjoys networking when you, when you call it networking. 
I love hanging out with colleagues. I love hanging out with friends. I love going to events. What made it so easy for me was uh, joining a bar organization. And now when you go to an event, you're usually meeting people that you're working on a project together, being part of the bar. I'm part of the bar leadership. I did the Bar Leadership Institute, the uh, the, trial, the State Bar Trial College. And all those are, are, are uh, I did that not because I was looking to network, but because I was looking to learn. I was looking to grow. And I've taken it. For, that's the perspective that I've taken. That that's allowed me to go out and meet people and to grow my network and to network. I'm not networking to go out, get cards and to meet people and to, and to, you know, work on business development that comes as a, as a, as a result of that. But for me, if you told me, Hey, let, let's go out and network and let's, uh, man, I, I would, I would dread it. But if it's, let's go out and meet colleagues, let's go out to this event, then I'm all in. And it, it actually is fun, but you have to put yourself in a position. If you're, you're a one L if you're working with, with a student group, right and they have an event or they're invited to an event, you're part of something, right? Maybe you're part of a group of attorneys that are working on, on a project together. I've worked a lot with Los Abogados, with, with uh, Colsa here, and we're working, uh, there's a golf tournament coming up um, this, this Saturday, and usually we have student volunteers for that. I've worked with the Hispanic National Bar Association where we have two conferences around the country, uh, twice a year, and I've worked with 30 vo- law student volunteers from around the country. And when I meet them again as attorneys down, you know, their career, I, we just know each other. It's, it's, but we're working on something together. I'm volunteering my time to work on something, and that's how my network has grown. Uh, so, so don't think about it as networking. Go out there to learn. Go out there to, to, you know, to, to volunteer your time to be open to the idea that some people out there might be working on something that could be of great interest to you maybe not necessarily directly impacting your career but the people that you meet uh, while you're volunteering for different things are really um, are really going to be helpful in the future are really going to be able those are your your references in the future those are your uh, those are your references, potential employers, whether you know it or not. You know, you're always you're always interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, everybody's being interviewed at all times. Most jobs, I think, in 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 the legal industry, they're not filled on Indeed, on LinkedIn, on Monster. It's word of mouth, right? If somebody says, "Hey, I, I I'm looking for this type of person. I got the guy for you. Mm-hmm. I know exactly who you're looking for, and this is why." But if I don't know you, I can't. I can't talk about you i can't brag about you um i I remember i was uh we had law student volunteers in las vegas Uh, we held a conference there and there was this great young man out of las vegas that that we we took a shining to he was a law student volunteer and fast forward a year later and one of uh, my colleagues uh, out of dc became um a vice president of, of some legal operations at, at, at some level for Bank of America. And as it happened, he was hiring. And as it happened, I ran into him at the airport. He said, you know what? I, I've just joined Bank of America, and I need, to, I, I need to hire some people. Do you remember that guy from Las Vegas? Yeah. What's he doing? I gave him his phone number. I don't know what came of that, right? But this guy volunteered in Las Vegas. Here we are, and I don't remember where we, we were at an airport, in Chicago maybe, and, and his name is brought up again. And now this person works for Bank of America, but he remembers that he liked that guy, that he did a great job. 
it happens. It seems that based on what you're telling me, networking is not something you go out and do so much it is as it is a side effect of participation in the community. You just have to be a part of the community and you will appear in more people's searches for someone who does what you do or you will be uh, your your identity and your portfolio of skills will be more salient in the collective consciousness of the community whenever they think I need a guy for this oh it's that guy who was doing something at a golf tournament or something um, so I guess the best thing that we would recommend you'd recommend to uh, a 1L or anyone who's networking is just participate in the things you're interested in and go and talk to other people and integrate yourself in the community instead of think I have to network I have to collect business cards because it's not as you don't you don't really have as much control over networking as it seems you know you can't just have all the connections and then assume that you're in the network you got to have people like you and think that your skills are valuable and then remember you well, I, to the extent possible, find something that you that you enjoy, that you like. You're going to be an attorney. You're going to be in a position to, to help people. Start looking for that now. For me, I found that uh, working with, with, with families, um, you know, uh, it really is kind of a calling for me. So I volunteered very early on with the uh, uh, medical legal program out of ASU where they go to hospitals and they help low-income families or they provide pro bono to low-income families. And I did that for years. Met some wonderful people through that program. And, but it was something that was enjoyable to me. So find what's enjoyable to you. What, what I'll tell you is, as hectic as your 1L, 2L, and 3L years are going to be, you're going to be an attorney. It's going to be hectic. You're going to have deadlines. You're going to have uh, challenging clients, challenging cases, challenging judges maybe. right? It, it's, it, it's not like you graduate and everything becomes easier. So get into the swing of things now. Go out, volunteer your time, get to get to meet people, get to get to find what interests you, what really drives you, what inspires you. Uh, you may not uh, uh, your first job out may not may not inspire you, but if you have inspiration and you can assist people outside of maybe that that first job, if it's even possible that that first year or second year, um, then then you're in a better position. You're more fulfilled as an attorney if you're doing something that challenges and inspires you. So I go out and look for what. What matters to you? What's important for me? For me, diversification, working with diversity of the judiciary is very important to me, working with families. And there are groups and organizations that are dedicated to that, and they would love the, the assistance and the help. Well said. Um, with regards to outside networking, do you have any advice generally for, say, a 1L who's at this point nine, ten weeks into the semester? might be hearing this before finals um, and maybe a 3L who's about to enter the legal market in spring well let me you know for a 1L you, hang in there it's it's not the end of the world the grades are going to come out whether you're at the top or the bottom you know you, you, you're all going to graduate and you're, you're all going to face the bar exam so uh, you know hang in there do your best and, and really for me networking I, I know I wasn't going to be anywhere near you know, the top third of the of the class. So so I, I focused on my career and I, I would recommend that. Don't focus so much on the grades, uh, but focus on uh, your first network, which is your 1L class. 
your first job may come from there. Your, your recommendations, when you guys are up to be a judge, those are going to be your references, both positive and maybe negative, right? Uh, when 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 you guys apply to become judges, uh, people are going to be able to comment on on how they know you and where they know you from and, and what your history is. So 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 don't focus so much on the grades. You know, try to. Uh, try to mix and, and, and get to know your class. That's your first network. And, you know, for, for a 3L, it, it's such an exciting time. And, and if you're a 3L at this point, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure they have, you know, mo- most of their their jobs lined up. They have, you know, they know where they're going. And, and for those very few that don't, I, ASU has some wonderful resources. Uh, but for either, you know, here's the wonderful thing. If you're a student, you're not competition. Right. And just like I'm telling you that you need to network and and get out there. I need to network, too. And every practicing attorney needs to build their network. So I will tell you this. You decide who you want to be, who is a career that you want to emulate. Who do you want to meet? Who do you want to know? Invite them out to lunch. I'm positive they're going to pick up the check, but they're going to be open. to It It might take them a little bit of time to respond because we're busy attorneys. But, you know, what I would say to a law student is meet with as many lawyers as you can. Learn from them, get to know them, invite them out to lunch. You're not competition. You're their network. You know, in the future, you may refer a case to me, right? It's the same for all these other attorneys out there, right? They're still growing their network, and they want to know you just as much as you want to know them. But the added benefit for you is these connections are going to serve you in the future. And, again, you know, going back to that networking, sometimes there's nothing you can say, nothing, but you both know the same people. That's an easy, that's an easy topic of conversation. Hey, do you know this person? You know, yeah, he's wonderful. Um, invite as many people out to lunch as you can. Set aside a budget for that and invite them. Chances are you won't have to tap into your budget. Most attorneys will pay, but it, it, the most important thing is take attorneys out to lunch. Right now, I, while you're a student, take out as many of them out to lunch and get to know, you know, uh, get to know a, a as much as you can about them, and maybe maybe you'll find a mentor, maybe you'll find some guidance, a buddy, a friend, a golfing partner. For but um, get to know these people. This is you're going to be a part of this community, so you know get get to know them. Freddie, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to email us at aslawradio at gmail.com.